Lesson number 55, Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 7 to 14. لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ For men is a share of what the parents and close relatives leave. الرِجَالِ, plural of رَجُلْ, رَجِيمْ لَامْ, man. نَصِيب from the root letters نُونْ صَادْ بَا, نَصِيب is a share. مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ الْوَالِدَانِ, dual of walid, who is walid? Parent. Walidan, two parents, meaning mother and father. Aqrabun, plural of aqrab, qaf raba, qurb is closeness. Aqrab is the closest relative. Aqrabun, closest relatives, immediate family. So the men have a share from what taraka al-walidani wal-aqrabun, from what the parents and the close relatives leave behind. Meaning, if a parent dies, If a close relative dies, then their male relatives, their male children, they have a share, a portion of the property that has been left by the deceased. So men have a share of inheritance. وَلِلنِّسَاءِ And for the women is نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ Even they have a share of inheritance from what? Their parents and their relatives have left behind. In the days of ignorance before Islam, there were many ways by which those who deserved inheritance were deprived of their shares. Basically, who would inherit from a deceased? The closest male relative. How much would he inherit? Sometimes everything. So for example, if a man died, leaving behind a son and two daughters, the entire estate, the entire property that he left behind would be taken by who? The eldest son. And the rest of the relatives, the wife, the mother, the father, the daughters, they would be completely deprived. The eldest son would take everything. Or for example, a person would not have any children of his own. He would have an adopted son, a son whom he called my son, but he was not biologically his son. Now this person has a wife, this person has brothers, this person has parents. He dies, who takes all of his property? His adopted child. Likewise, a person had really good relations with a friend. Really good relations with a friend. He says, my blood is your blood, my life is your life. You know, we are best buddies in their own terms. Right? They would make such agreements. This was known as halif, of a relationship of confederacy. All right? And what would happen is that when that person would die, then his best friend would walk in and take all of his property. And what would be left for the wife of that man, for the children of that man, for the son of that man? Nothing at all. Or for example, the estate would be divided, but the women would be completely deprived. For example, the wife would be given nothing, the daughter would be given nothing, the mother would be given nothing. And sometimes the women even would be inherited. Yes. So for example, if there is a man who died leaving his wife and his property, his brother would come, take his property and take his wife, that you are now my wife. Yes, this would even happen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that all men and all women deserve a share of inheritance. Not just the eldest son, not a friend, Not an adopted child, but who? All men, all women have a share of inheritance from who? They inherit from who? Two that are mentioned over here. Who are they? 
they inherit from walidan. And secondly, they inherit from aqrabun. Who are walidan? The mother and the father. Who are aqrabun? The closest relatives. Now remember that all people are related to one another through some relationship or the other. Isn't that so? Like if you go back in history, somewhere or the other, your family tree will join with the person sitting next to you. Correct? Because all of us come from who? Adam alayhi salam. So every single human being has a share of inheritance? Because your relatives eventually? No. It is for who? Aqrabun, the closest relatives. Who are these closest relatives? Closest relatives are basically five. Who are they? They are the ones who are always included in inheritance. They are, you can say, the direct heirs of the deceased. They are the father, the mother, the son, the daughter, and the spouse. Who are they? Father, mother, son, daughter, spouse. So parents, children, and spouse. These are direct heirs. They will always inherit from their relative who has passed away. Meaning when this relationship exists between two people, between the deceased and the living, between the person who has died and the living, what relationship? Of being children or of being parents? Of being spouse? Okay? Then they will inherit. Alright? And aqrabun. Aqrabun means that the closest relative gets a share. Okay? And in the hadith we learn, al-aqrab fal-aqrab. The closest and then the next closest. Meaning that if a person does not have children, but he has grandchildren, then instead of his children, who will inherit? His grandchildren. Alright? How much do they inherit? How much do men and women inherit by these relationships? The details are mentioned later. But this is a general rule that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, that all men, all women inherit from their parents and inherit from their closest relatives. And just as men inherit, women also inherit. Now this is, you can say, revolutionary. This was unheard of before. This was something that was not even imagined before. That a woman inherits? Yes, she does. All men, even if a person has five sons, all of them will inherit? Yes, not just the eldest son. Close relatives, if a person is a parent, they will inherit? Yes, they will. If a person is a spouse, they will inherit? Yes, they will. And Allah says, مِمَّا قَلَّ From that which is less minhu from it, meaning of the estate, أو كثر, or a lot. Meaning it doesn't matter whether the estate that has been left behind by the deceased is a lot or a little. Still, the close relatives, the children, they will inherit. If a person is leaving behind a property that values a hundred thousand dollars, $500,000. Then, will his relatives have a share of that property? Yes, they will. What if he's leaving behind $500? Let's say a son dies who is only 15 years old. He doesn't have any money in his bank account. If you gather up the value of everything that he owned, that his parents had given to him, that belonged to him, you could estimate that to be worth $500 maybe. So even that has to be distributed amongst the relatives? Yes. Everything. It doesn't matter how much the value is of the estate. It has to be distributed amongst the heirs. Nasiba mafruda. This is a nasib, a share that has been mafrud, meaning made obligatory by who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mafrud is from fard, faradad. Meaning people don't have a choice concerning this. 
Allah has made this obligatory. A person says, I don't want my son to inherit from me. Does he have a choice in that? No, the son will inherit. If a person says, I don't want my father to take anything from my property after I die. Does he have a choice concerning that? No. Nasiba mafruda. Allah has made this fault. We have no choice concerning this at all. The shares are fixed, the heirs are fixed. They are made obligatory by Allah. So what do we see in this ayah? That in our deen, whatever estate a person leaves behind that has to be distributed according to Islamic law of inheritance, between who? It has to be distributed amongst who? The rightful heirs. Who are the rightful heirs? Those who have been assigned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? How much do they inherit? Whatever share Allah has allotted to them. Nasiba mafruda. And everything has to be distributed. From the spoons, to the clothes, to the art on their walls, to their business, to their car, everything, their jewelry, their phone, everything has to be distributed amongst the heirs. And this means that when a person dies, then his property, his belongings cannot be used by his relatives without permission from the heirs. So for example, a man owns a house. It is his house. The wife doesn't have a share in it. It is his house. Okay? He bought it. It belongs to him. He dies. He leaves behind a wife and two sons. Two sons that are grown up in their own houses. Now, that house that he has left behind, who has a share in that? His wife has a share of that and his two sons have a share of that. So the wife, can she use that house without the permission of the sons? She cannot. And if she does, then it will be considered a part of her share that she is using. Alright? Likewise, if there are children living in the house, but technically the man's mother also gets a share from his property. Now can those children continue to use that house and everything in the house without the permission from their grandmother? They cannot. Now alhamdulillah, in many situations it's understood, it's acceptable that whoever is living in the house, whoever is doing, you know, they should continue to use it. Alright? But if someone says that, no, I don't want you to live here. Let's say after their idda, it is said, I want my share of the property. I want my money. So please sell the house and give me the money. Or give me the money from your pocket. I need the money. One of the sons says. The mother cannot say that, no, I'm not going to give you. This is also my house. I've always lived in this house. You cannot force me. No, it cannot happen. The son needs the money, he wants it, he demands his share, it has to be given to him. Because Allah has made it his right. Nasiba mafruda. Because unfortunately, many injustices happen today. Many injustices. Where people are deprived of their shares. Like this. So nasiba mafruda. Allah has said it. وَإِذَا حَضَرَ الْقِسْمَةَ And when the qisma, qisma is from the root letters qaf, seen meme, which is to divide, distribute. When... The distribution is taking place, meaning the shares are allotted, they're decided, and now it's being you know, divided up, that okay, this brother takes this much, the son takes this, and the daughter comes and takes this. Imagine a house, one is taking the furniture, another is taking the house itself, whatever. This is all going on. And حضر القسمتا, he is present. حضر from حضر. He is present at the division. Who is present at this division? Ulul Qurba. 
other relatives, waliyatama and orphans. Now the shares are being allotted, and what happens? Some relatives walk in to the house to offer their condolences, or some orphan children they walk in. Wal masakin and the needy. The needy people find out, okay, this house, it's being divided up between the heirs. Let's go. Maybe they will give something to us. So these people show up. Do they have a right of that estate? They don't have a right in it. Technically, they don't have a right that has been allotted to them. Like for example, the house, its belongings and the house is being divided amongst the children and the spouse and the parents. A cousin walks in. A distant aunt walks in. They don't have a share of that estate. They don't have a share. But they're sitting, watching. They're a part of all that decision making. They're giving their suggestions. They're involved in that discussion. Technically, they don't have a share. Or likewise, some poor people walk in and they're just watching. This person is taking the sofa. This person is taking this much money. The money is being distributed. What does Allah say? فَرْزُقُوهُمْ مِنْهُمْ Give them something from it. Give them something from that estate. Because it's an awful feeling that when everybody's getting something, and there you are, you get nothing at all. It's an awful feeling. So Allah says, فَرْزُقُوهُمْ مِنْهُ Give them something from it. Like for example, all the heirs are being given a hundred thousand dollars each. Here comes a poor child. Here comes a beggar, a servant, who has been living in that house, serving that family for so long. So he's just standing there looking and just you know has that sad face. So give him a thousand dollars, give him hundred dollars, give him five hundred dollars, give him something, a little bit. فَرْزُقُوهُمْ مِنْهُ وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا And say to them a decent word, a word that is appropriate. What is that appropriate word? Like, uh, take it, may Allah bless you in it. You know, may Allah bless you. Take this, enjoy yourself. Uh, remember us in your du'as. You know, say something nice. وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا Instead of saying, what are you doing here? What are you looking at? Don't look at the property of other people. It's not nice to be greedy, by the way. And you have no business to be here. Please walk away. Stop interfering. Don't do that. وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا Say to them a good, a decent word. So, what do we learn here? That people before, and even today, it happens that when the distribution is happening, other people walk in and they're watching that whole thing. So when they're there, then what should be done? They should be given something from it. This ayah teaches us the adab, the akhlaq that our deen encourages. That even though someone may not have a right over something, be decent, be generous, be compassionate, and give them something. Like for example, you may be working somewhere. Okay? And your job is that whoever comes and stands in front of you, you answer their question. Or you tell them which form to fill, whatever. But if a person walks in and they're kind of lost and they're looking here and there, and there for a reason, they need the washroom or they need to hang their jacket, and you see that they need to know. And you just watch them and they go, I'm not obligated to help them here. I'm just supposed to answer their questions. You know, I'm not here to tell them where to hang their jacket or where to keep their shoes. No, even if it's not your responsibility. Even if they don't really deserve, be compassionate, be considerate, be courteous, and give something, be generous. Go help someone. You know, sometimes you say, this is not part of my job. My mom told me only to mop the kitchen, so I'm not going to mop the foyer. My mom told only to vacuum the carpet, I'm not going to sweep the floor. 
you know what, if you see the dirt, even if it's not your duty, go ahead and do it. Go the extra mile. Be generous. This is what our deen teaches us. But what is our attitude? Clock in, clock out. You know, just do your work and only your work and nothing else. Don't take the extra step at all. But this deprives us of ihsan. Be generous. This is the teaching of our deen. And you see that a fixed amount has not been set. Right? That give them this much percent or this much share. No, it has been left to the discretion of the people who are present over there that you decide. It may be suitable to give $5. It may be suitable to give $100. It may be suitable to give $1,000. Whatever. You decide, but give something. And some companions actually consider this wajib, mandatory. That whoever is present at the time of division, you have to give them something. You cannot send them empty-handed. Because it's rude. It's impolite. And also we see here that we are being taught to do ihsan bil fi'l and ihsan bil qawl. Do good to others by action and do good to others by our words. So for example, if we are helping someone, this is ihsan bil fi'l. Through our actions we are being good. But also say something good. Sometimes we go give a gift to someone. Here, take it. It's for you. Come on. Is this how you should give a gift? No. When you're giving something to someone, also use nice words. We expect good words from the receiver. Right? But we should also say good words when we are on the giving side. What can we say? What can we say? Yeah, I'm so happy for you. You know, for example, they got a good mark on their test. They're celebrating, whatever. They're getting married. So take a gift and give it to them and say something nice such as, I'm so happy for you. You know, may Allah bless you and may this be so good for you, for your deen, for your dunya, for your akhirah. Give some dua, say some polite words. Don't be a dry person who doesn't have any emotions, like boring, dull, lifeless, gray. No, be, be a little bit emotional. Put some colors in your life. Put some joy in your life. Bring a smile to another person's face. When you just give a gift, it's like almost you're burdening them. But when you say something nice, you're pleasing them. That at a time when someone has passed away, everyone is sad. And when you're generous at that time, then you're bringing a smile to someone else's face and you are also giving yourself the gift of satisfaction and contentment and peace. Because when you give, that's when you feel peace. So this will actually help you and help others. So the laws of Islam, yes, they have to be followed very strictly. But don't forget compassion. Don't forget mercy. وَلْيَخْشَ الَّذِينَ لَوْ تَرَكُوا مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّةً ضِعَافًا And let those people fear injustice, as if they themselves had left weak offspring behind and feared for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning who? Those people who consume the property of the orphans unjustly. Those people who deprive little children of the shares of inheritance that they have received from their parents, from their relatives. So Allah addresses them and says, that وَلْيَخْشَ That such people, they should fear. Lam over here means he should. And يَخْشَ from خَشِيَ خَاشِنِيَ To fear. They should fear. 
Who should fear? الَّذِينَ Those people who لَوْ تَرَكُوا If they left مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ Behind them ذُرِّيَّةً Children ضِعَافًا Weak ones ضِعَاف Plural of ضعيف Who is ضعيف? One who is weak And little children are weak because they are dependent on others. They are weak physically, financially, mentally. In many different ways they are weak. So a person who is consuming the property of an orphan, not giving him his share of inheritance, Allah says, fear. What if you were leaving behind your children and someone else took their property? Would you not khafu alayhim? Would you not be afraid for your children? Meaning, how can you go on and take the property of an innocent child, of a weak child who needs that money? Would you like that to happen to your own children? You would never like that to happen to your own children. So if you don't like it for yourself, how can you like it for others? So don't do to others what you don't want for yourself. Don't do to others... Children, what you don't want to happen to your own children. Put yourself in the shoes of other people. Allah says, فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ They should fear Allah. Even though the parents of those children are not there to fight for them. But Allah is there. He is watching. So fear Him. You know, if there is a child, and he's, let's say, misbehaving or something, and you want to yell at them, you want to scold them, but you see that their mother is there. So no matter how annoyed you are, you say... You know, sweetheart, why didn't you do this instead? Why didn't you do that instead? And if their mother is not there, you know, people can hit them and they can yell at them and treat them like animals and do whatever they want. But if the mother is there, then they become fearful. Correct? They become very conscious. So Allah says, فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهِ These little children, their parents might not be there. But Allah is watching you. And He will hold you accountable. So fear Him. وَلْيَقُولُوا قَوْلًا sadida, And they should say a statement that is sadid. What is sadid? Sadid is from the root letter سِينَ دَالْ دَالْ And سَدَّ يَسُدُّ سَدْ Is basically when something falls at its place. When something falls at its place. تَسْدِيدُ sahm is to straighten the arrows. Why? So that when you shoot them, they will fall exactly, precisely at the target. Okay? So, qawlan sadid is a word, a statement, that is suitable, that is most fitting in a given situation. It is most appropriate in a particular situation. What is qawlan sadidan? A statement that is most befitting, alright? Most appropriate in a situation. Remember that talking gently, talking politely, talking nicely in every situation is not qawlan sadid. Likewise, talking strictly and sternly and firmly all the time is also not qawlan sadid. Because in some situations, leniency is good and in other situations, firmness is good. Isn't that so? For example, if you're talking to a child, then what is qawlan sadid? Talking leniently. But if you're talking to a teenager who's misbehaving, who's behaving like a two-year-old kid, then talking firmly is sadid. Isn't that so? Likewise, if someone is talking to a small group of people, a casual conversation, then talking in a low voice is qawlan sadid. But when a person is standing at the mimbar giving the khutbah, then what is qawlan sadid? Talking loudly so that everybody can hear. Talking firmly with some power, with some voice, so that people will listen attentively and take benefit from the khutbah. 
Alright? So, وَلْيَقُولُوا قَوْلًا sadida means that they should say words that are most befitting, most appropriate in that situation. In what situation? This is basically referring to the time when a person is dying. He's basically, you know, breathing his last breaths. And when a person is near death, then he goes on giving instructions, right? Take care of my children, do this with my kids, you know, my wife should do this, my son should do this, my daughter should do this, right? And at such a time, is the whole family around the person? Not necessarily. It's quite possible that only a few individuals are there who may not even be his family, who may be his distant relatives or friends, alright? Now, it happens many times that when a person is dying, people come and they start advising him to do something which is not correct. Let me give you an example. The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Talib, when he was dying, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ was advising him to say the kalima at least, right? And there came Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab and all of his group, and they kept on telling Abu Talib that, will you leave the religion of your forefathers? Will you leave the religion of Abdul Muttalib? So what happened then? Abu Talib, what happened to him? That he said, I'm not going to leave it. Why? Because even though what the Prophet ﷺ was saying to him made sense, but because of what his friends were saying, he got so much under pressure that he listened to them. He said what they wanted him to say. Now likewise, when a person is dying, let's say he's living behind a property, and they're his friends, business partners or cousins, and they say, you know, we're really worried about your business. You know, we really think that it's best if you give all the rights to so-and-so individual. So all you have to do is just quickly sign over here and just say that, you know, say such and such, say such and such. And like this, what happens in many situations is that the people who deserve the shares of inheritance, they are deprived. Because a person, for example, says, all of my property, all of the rights go to such and such individual. So who gets deprived at the end? Family. Who gets deprived at the end? Children. So such people who come and try to mislead an individual at the time of his death. Why? So that they can get his money and his little children, his family, his dependent family members are deprived such people are being advised that what if you were in that position? What if someone came after your dependent children and took away their rights from them? Would you like that for yourself? You would never like it for yourself. So how can you be okay with it for others? So, وَلْيَقُولُوا قَوْلًا sadida. At this time, say appropriate words. Say correct words, suitable words. Not incorrect words. Likewise, some have said that this ayah refers to those people who are given the instructions to execute a will, to carry out a will. That they have an amana on them. They have been entrusted with a huge responsibility. Let's say a man about to die, he says to his friend, I have some money sitting in this bank account and this is the password. For example. Okay? Or I have some cash or whatever sitting in this you know, locker and this is where the key is. Alright? And he says, please go and make sure that my family gets it. Now this man says, okay, the wife doesn't know, the kids don't know, let me just go get it myself. So he goes, opens up the locker and takes out half of the stuff. And then later on when the bank sends the key to the family, they go and take the money out, the jewelry, the whatever valuables are there. 
hardly anything is present. So they say, okay, maybe this is all that our father left. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advises such a person that would you like it for yourself? That somebody cheated you. Somebody took the haqq of your kids. You'd never like that. So don't treat others the way you don't want to be treated. Be very, very careful. And this is something that's very beneficial. If a person always puts himself in the shoes of others, then it is easier for him to be just. Always think about others. Consider their feelings. Acknowledge their state. And then you'll be able to do justice. You know, for example, marrying multiple wives. From the ayah, it may seem that a person has complete freedom. He should disregard the feelings of his wife and go on and marry whosoever and whenever. Not tell his wife, disregard her feelings, not care about anything. This is not what this means. When he has been given the allowance, he also has to be prudent. He also has to be careful. For example, we see that Ali anhu at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he intended to marry the daughter of Abu Jahl. Who was Abu Jahl? The enemy of the Prophet ﷺ. Now his daughter had become Muslim. Okay. Ali anhu, who was he? The son-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet's daughter Fatima was married to him. He intended to marry, take a second wife, and who was that? Abu Jahl's daughter. Now, technically, it's okay. Does he have the right? Yes. Is he permitted by Islamic law? Definitely. But, did it make sense for him to marry that woman? No. Why? Because it would hurt Fatima anha. Not because Ali anhu had taken another wife. But it would hurt her that my father's enemy, his daughter, has become my co-wife. It would make her life very difficult, very miserable. So the Prophet ﷺ stopped Ali anhu. He did not allow him to marry that woman. He said that the daughter of the Prophet of Allah and the enemy of Allah cannot be in the same family. They cannot be in the same family. The Prophet ﷺ did not allow that marriage to take place. So what does this teach us? A very important lesson. That we may have rights in our deen. You might say, oh this is my right, this is my right, this is my right. But be sensible. Be a little sensitive to other people's feelings. Always put yourself in the shoes of others. Would you like that for yourself? You don't like it. So don't treat others the same way. Don't put them in a difficult position. Then Allah warns that إِنَّ الَّذِينَ Indeed those people who يَأْكُلُونَ They eat أَمْوَالَ الْيَتَامَ The property of the orphans أَمْوَالَ plural of مَال يَتَامَ plural of يَتِيم Those people who consume the property of the orphans ظُلْمًا Unjustly They don't have a right It is injustice when they're consuming the property of the orphans So does this mean there is a legal way of consuming the property of the orphans? There is. Remember we learned earlier that if a person is looking after the property of the orphans, can he charge a wage that is reasonable? Yes. How much? وَمَنْ كَانَ فَقِيرًا فَلْيَأْكُلْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ Ma'roof, right? He can charge a wage. That's not ظُلْم. This is talking about those who don't have a right over the property of the orphan. They're not looking after it. They say, oh, what does this kid know? What does this child know? He doesn't know anything. So take whatever. Or for example, the guardian, he doesn't need to charge a wage, but he still charges a wage. Or when he charges a wage, he charges more than what is reasonable. So those who consume the property of the orphan, ظلما, or like we learned earlier, لا تتبدل الخبيث بالطيب. 
that they give their khabis to the orphan and they take tayyib of the orphan for themselves. Such people, إِنَّمَا يَأْكُلُونَ فِي بُطُونِهِمْ نَارًا Indeed, such people are consuming in their bellies, what? Fire. They're actually consuming fire. They're actually taking a portion of hellfire for themselves. The word butun is a plural of batan, batanun, the belly, the stomach of a person. And soon they shall burn. Sala yasla, sad lam ya, or sad lam wow is to burn. They will burn in what? Sa'ir, in a blazing fire. Sa'ir is from sur. It's basically when a fire is set ablaze. So the flames are raging. Basically the fire is like a flaming fire. So وَسَيَصْلَوْنَ سَعِيرًا They're going to burn in the hellfire. When a person is eating something, at the time of consumption, he enjoys it. Like for example, a person may have a sensitivity to a certain food. But he loves it. You know, people have sensitivity towards dairy, towards grains, different things, right? And if they eat those foods, what happens? They will be bloated or they will get a rash. Right? Or different things will happen. Their body will react in different ways. But at the time when they're eating that delicious ice cream, they're enjoying it a lot. Later on, they will pay the price. Isn't it so? Later on, they will pay the price. This is just like a person has a serious nut allergy. But they love peanut M&M's. They can't do without it. So they're like, you know what? I have my EpiPen, I don't care, I'm going to go and eat it. And they eat, they eat, they keep eating until they collapse. And later on they're in the hospital, one drug after the other, you know, eventually they are released from the hospital. But this is like foolish, isn't it so? This is so foolish that you're killing yourself just to eat that chocolate, like really? You can get nut-free ones, why don't you have that? Do you see what I mean? Likewise, when a person consumes something, takes something that is not his right. When a person takes the property of another human being that does not belong to him, somebody's pen, somebody's book, somebody's clothes, somebody's shoes, somebody's jacket, whatever it may be, they like it, they take it. When you're taking it, you're really having a good time. You're so happy. But you will pay the price for it. You will pay the price for it. What's the price? You're actually taking a portion of hellfire. This is something very serious. Something very serious. Because this is something that has become quite common. That people like something, they'll take it. They go to a public washroom, they like how the soap dispenser is or whatever, they take it. They like something on the wall, they take it. They go different places and they collect different, different things. I liked it, I took it, I wanted it. They go to a store and they manage to take the tag off or the security thing off and they bring that object home. Or they open a box and they take out whatever they want from it and they bring it home. Or they don't deserve particular money from the government, but they write false things so that they can receive money that is for free through deceit. You don't have a right over it. This is unfair that other people are working so hard, they're paying taxes, and there you are sitting at home lying that you are a single woman or you are divorced or you don't have a husband or whatever and you need money and the government gives you money that does not belong to you. You don't have a right over it. 
This is something serious. When a person takes something that he does not have a right over, he is consuming what? Fire. إِنَّمَا يَأْكُلُونَ فِي بُطُونِهِمْ نَارًا That sometimes people will say false things that I am divorced so that they can be off of the welfare. They can get money from the government every month. This is exactly what the verse is talking about. Zulman, right? This is injustice. So many people are taking welfare when they don't deserve it and the taxes keep growing higher and higher for the rest of the crowd. Those people who are honest in their work, in filing their taxes, they have to suffer the brunt of it. She said that she saw a picture of a soap and it said at the bottom of it, this is the cutest thing that you can ever steal because somebody picked it up from a hotel. Hmm? Somebody just took it from the hotel. I mean, some things they keep over there for your use. So if there is a shampoo bottle or a soap bar and you've used it, and if you leave half of it, you know they're going to come and throw it. So it makes sense for you to take that. But the towels over there, the floor mats over there, the hangers in the closet, come on, they didn't leave that for you. They didn't leave that for you to take home with you. If that's the case, and also take the furniture and the lamps, and even the light fixtures. She's saying that she heard in a lecture that somebody was saying that we see that our children are misbehaving, you know, they are disrespectful, disobedient, rebellious, and we wonder what's wrong with them. The problem is that many times we are feeding them haram. Because we demand from the government what is not our right. And we lie in order to get that. And then we feed that to the children. And the children, if they're being fed haram, their body is built of haram, then what does the hadith tell us? That a person who consumes haram, and then he prays, then why will his dua be heard and accepted? That it's amazing that we present such a false image of the deen in doing this. That people know that fornication is something that's not allowed in Islam. But still there's a woman who says she is unmarried, she is single, or she is divorced, and then every year she shows up with a new kid demanding more welfare. I mean, that means that those children are born out of wedlock? I mean, people are not stupid, they know. And you can claim that, oh, but we are not married, and people don't even go and register their marriage first of all. And remember, whatever starts wrong will end wrong. It will end wrong. And please never think that, oh, they're non-Muslim. No, even if a person is non-Muslim, you are supposed to be just and fair and truthful to everybody. So this is something very serious that we should be very fearful of. And in particular, this verse talks about consuming the property of the orphans. And this is something that's a major sin. Taking anybody else's property that you don't have a right over is a major sin. And taking an orphan's property without right is also a major sin. The Prophet ﷺ said, اجتنبوا السبع المبقات Stay away, avoid the seven great destructive sins. And of those seven destructive sins are consuming the property of the orphan unlawfully. And the Sahih also teaches us the heavy responsibility that is laid on the one who is managing the property of the orphan. That he has to be extremely truthful, extremely careful, extremely honest. He really has to fulfill that amana. Because being unfair, being unjust with the orphan's property is not something small. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Abu Dhar, that, O oh, Abu Dhar, verily you are weak. Meaning, I know that you're a weak person. And I love for you what I love for myself. Therefore, do not become a leader of two, nor assume guardianship of an orphan's property. 
This doesn't mean that it's not allowed for people to become the guardians of orphans and their properties. No, there's something that's highly encouraged and rewardable. But if a person feels that he doesn't have the strength to be just, to be fair, then he should refrain from it. When a person knows that he cannot fulfill that responsibility, then he should stay away from it because then he's putting himself in danger. So let's listen to the recitation of these verses. للرجال نصيب مما ترك الوالدان والأقربون وللنساء نصيب مما ترك الوالدان والأقربون وللنساء نصيب مما ما ترك الوالدان والأقربون مما قل منه أو كثر نصيبا مفروضا وإذا حضر القسمة أولو القربى واليتامى والمساكين فارزقوهم منه وقولوا لهم قولا معروفا وَلْيَخْشَ الَّذِينَ لَوْ تَرَكُوا مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّةً ضِعَافًا خَافُوا عَلَيْهِمْ فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَلْيَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَأْكُلُونَ أَمْوَالَ الْيَتَامَى ظُلْمًا إِنَّمَا يَأْكُلُونَ فِي بُطُونِهِمْ نَارًا يَأْكُلُونَ فِي بُطُونِهِمْ نَارًا وَسَيَصْلَوْنَ سَعِيرًا 